Hello and welcome to the last of our playoff trilogy. Matt Stanger is here, Caroline Barker is here and all we're going to discuss for the next half an hour is the League 2 playoff final between Coventry and Exeter. It's taken these two clubs 48 games to get to this point and they can win or lose everything in the next 90 minutes. This is the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Matt Stanger, how are you shaping up? Very well, thanks. Uh, got horrendously sunburned on Sunday. Fell asleep on Whitstable Beach. So after about four litres of after sun, I'm just about coming round now. You are a man who would generally get sunburned in front of like an 80 watt bulb. So yeah, that's right. Miserable. Gen- generally quite worried about you. Caroline. And I'm the sort of woman that would actually put his sunburn on so it spelt something filthy on his back. <laughs> so don't ask me, because it's not happening. All right. Um, you two, pair of clowns on your predictions, um, managed to be kind of equally useless. In fact, the only time that you were unanimous in those semi-finals was the only time you were both wrong. And I, I wasn't going to agree with him, but I decided I'd given him so much of a brick wall throughout the whole of the preview show that I'd give him one concession. And oh, what a fool to follow him. Yeah, missed opportunity for me there. League two, Coventry. Um, if any club needs a day out at Wembley and an opportunity just to actually feel good about football, it's them. But I do have to admit, I did not think they'd get past Notts County. And apparently neither did Notts County. Because Coventry skipper Michael Doyle told the Coventry Telegraph, uh, I just felt that they thought they were through before the game. I read the programme notes from their chairman before the game and I just felt, and I'm not having a pop, but I thought they thought they were already there. We were told they had T-shirts in the dressing room for Wembley, so we weren't going down without a fight. Matt, they went off like a train, didn't they? Choo-choo, they did, Ian. <laughs> and ended like a trade as well. Um, you could see why Notts County were confident after that first leg where uh, they dominated really at the Rico and were undone by that unfortunate decision by the referee giving him a uh, penalty to Coventry right at the end. But um, really stepped it up on Friday night at Coventry. Max Biamu is acrobatic best. Mark Minolti playing on one leg, getting his 28th of the season. And then Tom Bayless, the, uh, the wonder kid at the centre of everything as well. So I think... Probably important to mention Lee Burgess' crucial save from John Stead as well, because that was at 2-1, and had that gone in then, it could have been uh, very different. And, and I'm sure you're going to get onto the refereeing decisions yet again. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about them, because Kevin Nolan certainly did. Uh, he said, I feel aggrieved because three of the decisions over the two legs have cost us. We had momentum, and when Fort scores, he's onside by a yard. I don't know how he has to put his flag up, but he has, and it's cost us again. It's upsetting, and they've cost us a chance to get to Wembley. Coventry came here and played well. I can't take that away from them. But we more than matched them. We had them on the ropes in the second half. And if that goal stands, we're in. I've got a lot of sympathy for him, uh, particularly the penalty in the first half and uh, first leg and the the offside um, when it was 2-1. But I really don't think we should take away from how well Coventry played. No, definitely not. I think that's what Mark Robbins said as well. He said... You could see it from Kevin Nolan's perspective of the refereeing decisions, but at the same time, his team was superb in the way they started the game and the way they approached it. And I think Notts County perhaps allowed themselves to get a little bit distracted, a little bit frustrated by uh, by those decisions that went against them, and, and that was probably largely their undoing. Caroline, do you think County had a right to feel aggrieved with the decisions? I do think it was all on that disallowed equaliser. I do think had that been given, clearly it wasn't ifs, buts, maybes, but had that been given, I think the momentum 
would have shifted again and Notts County would have put their foot down and you could just see them going on from that point. I was doing the old watching it on telly, but listening to Darren Fletcher, who was working on Five Live, who's a big Notts County part of the board, big Notts County fan. And they just all went off on one. Jermaine Gina said, should have been a girl no way that should have been disallowed and I don't know why my TV was on delay from that so I heard their reaction I must have paused it at some point heard their reaction and then watched it and thought yeah they're right and he had right to be aggrieved over that but it is across the old two legs we've done previously allegedly before made up championship winning t-shirts when we were playing AFC Wimbledon and they won promotion over us and so it does bite you on the bottom you said about Coventry just just to clarify sorry Chelmsford City (laughs) Yeah, well, everyone would know that anyway, wouldn't they? The, you know, the greatest team in the land and all that. Not, not like you've gone on about them all season. No, who? Uh, oh, yeah. Two great signings last night, by the way. By the by. Uh, so there is that, that point at which you think, yeah, for Coventry fans, I think it's great that they're at Wembley again. And for Mark Robbins, too. For the, for the club itself, there's still stuff they've got to sort out. I don't know if we can talk about the shirts. Do you want to talk about the shirts? Well, we'll, we'll come to the shirts in a minute. Just before we get there, though, I was ramping um, up to a big I old know. rant. <laughs> hold it, hold it. All right, we've still We've still got room for it. Um, I was just going to say that, that Notts County, yes, they will feel disappointed, but they had 17,000 people in that stadium. Now, granted, like quite a lot were Coventry fans, but I think it was over 12,000 home fans. Um, so that, I mean, that's a huge positive. Alan Hardy, the chairman, said, uh, unfortunately, there was to be no fairy tale ending, given some of the refereeing decisions we're subjected to. Perhaps it simply wasn't meant to be. But he did say, when the dust settles, we'll be able to look back on an amazing season of progression on and off the field, culminating in a breathtaking occasion which attracted a record crowd this century. Notts County do have an awful lot to be pleased with, don't they, Matt? Absolutely. Uh, and I think Kevin Owen, especially with the job he's done since he took over there, I think it was a day after Alan Hardy's takeover, wasn't it? In January 2017 and uh, Notts County at that stage, 22nd in the league, just a point above the relegation zone and on the back of 10 defeats in a row. So for Nolan to have them up there all season, uh, I think he's done a brilliant job. And you look at, say, Chesterfield this year dropping out of the league uh, and you know the infrastructure they've got, the stadium that they have, that could have been Notts County last season had Nolan not rescued them and then he's completely transformed the club. So he looks like he's been through the ringer a bit in the last couple of months, I have to say. I mean, it's it's been really difficult end to season and they were uh, obviously in the, the top three at one stage as well and, and, and fell out of that. But I think he can be very proud of, of what he's achieved. I was surprised about the comments in the programme because we saw Nolan's tears, didn't we, before this game or these these two legs and and he was surprised to to be there the emotion about being there too so to hear that from him when you you read the chairman's or the the owner's comments on twitter again it's all about surprise at being there so really they feel like they've they've overachieved this season which is why maybe maybe that confidence i don't know whether it was warranted at all next season Notts county are going to be favorites to go up aren't they with that huge fan base that you were talking about with getting it together too. You kind of feel like Kevin Nolan goes and has a, a chat to Big Al. I'm sure that's what he calls him. They have they have conversations and that's so important, that key relationship between the owner and the manager. The players want to play for them. They'll bring quality in and they've got that fan base just to carry them over the line. I think they'll go on and do it automatic route next season. So Kevin Nolan's done very well, but Mark Robbins, I mean, dealing, just in those circumstances, dealing with all that you've got to deal with at Coventry, and this is a fantastic achievement, isn't it? Oh, completely. I think it's difficult to overstate the job he's done in probably the uh, the toughest working conditions in the football league. And if you leave the spectre of Sisu to one side for the moment and consider it simply from a footballing perspective, 
he's almost rebuilt his squad after relegation in the summer. Lost three promising youth prospects in George Thomas, Ben Stevenson and, and Keen Harris. Lost Jody Jones to injury for the whole season back in November. And he's obviously such a key player for Coventry. Duckins Nazon, they brought him in on loan from Wolves. He left in January, even though he was scoring the goals for them and, and went on loan to Oldham. So he's had so many different issues to contend with throughout the season and yet he's still got them up there and the way they looked in, in that game on Friday night they're going to be a strong shout in the final uh, So Mark Robbins has done brilliantly but the undisputed star man Caroline is, is Mark McNulty um, and just listen to this from, from Michael Doyle again in the uh, Coventry Telegraph he said at 6 o'clock before the game I didn't even know if McNulty was going to play he shouldn't really have played. He's got a hamstring and he hasn't trained all week. Then he got a knock on the head on Thursday and I was worried, thinking he's not right and it was going to be a case of trying to get him through it. But his movement was unbelievable. Frightening. And that's what, what Matt was saying. The way that Mark Robbins has had to rebuild this team once, twice, three times to find players that can come in. Uh, there is just, we had a little cheeky wink and a smile about this before we came in. There is just that sense, though, that Minolte's the, the kind of player that come the playoff final might get sent within a few minutes and change everything. I just think he's got everything about him and could rightly or wrongly be the the player that all eyes are on come the big occasion. Was it Brisley that he had that little set to with on yeah, Friday night? I, and he looks like he likes a bit of needle, doesn't he? And Which you want a bit just, of bite, don't you? You want well, a bit. Oh, absolutely. But more Taylor, the way he dealt with Matt Reed uh, for, of Exeter, he's going to be fancying that as well, isn't he? Yeah. So I, I think that's a real key battle in the final. Who else on the team should we be looking out for? If we've got a Probably a few new listeners today, so yeah, won't know much about Coventry. Who are their other key yeah, players? Yeah, well, I think at the start of the season, we probably wouldn't have talked about Max Biamu that much because he, he took a bit of time to adapt to professional football after coming up from Sutton. But he's been excellent form recently. I think it's six goals now in his uh, last 10 appearances, including two great finishes the other night and another overhead kick after his overhead kick the other week. Uh, and then clearly the, the man that everyone's going to be looking at as well is the youngster Tom Bayliss because uh, midfielder with poise, vision, great feet. Um, he's been linked with Tottenham and Derby in, in the last few weeks and uh, he was in the thick of everything in semi-final. He obviously sheepishly won that penalty in the first leg and then he scored a great goal to, to round off the victory the other night. So, so he's someone that Coventry are going to look to to create. All right, Caroline, it's Shirts. your time. Is it a shirt moment? Coventry City will wear a one-off strip for the League Two playoff final. I'm reading from the press release here. Having exhausted their supply of existing kit for the 2017-18 season. With this season's kit no longer available, the club will wear an alternative strip in their traditional colours. Dave Boddy, Coventry City Chief Executive, said, Having been unable to obtain new replacements of the existing kit, we've had to source a one-off shirt from our kit supplier for the playoff final. The striped kit is one with much history, especially at Wembley for the Sky Blues, and we hope it will prove popular. Um, there's a few things that are interesting here, because you, you may be unsurprised to learn that you can buy this one-off kit for £45 for an adult and £36 for a child. Football kits, while they're not as thick as they used to be, they're not like disposable wipes, are they? How have they managed to run out? Don't you just wash them? As you say, several things. Dave Boddy, I know from his time at Worcester and when he was involved with the conferences, was then called on, on the board there too. So Dave's saying this, you've got to take him at his word. The kit, though is an off the peg. So if you have... Who's your football team? Not your proper football team, but the one you play for during the week? 
A3 uh, Milan. FC Tomadeira. There you go. FC Tomadeira. If you want to be in the Coventry kit next week, you can go onto the, the website, the manufacturer's the well-known brand manufacturer and pick their kit. And then you just put your own badge on. It does look like there's a little bit of stitching on it, but you can do that for £17.99. And then the markup on top of this to have the sponsor stuck on it, to have the logo on it, to have the travesty of the back. So you've got the stripes on the front, on the back. There's that, you know, the old plain panel on the back where the number will sit too. You can go and wash it. I've washed the Champs of City kit several times in my back garden and it was my proudest moment. Dave Body will be used to washing kits. He could have washed the commentary kit and got them out there. If you're going to try and use this opportunity to make money for the club, then just come out and say that's what you're doing. And the fans would probably want to go and buy it. Would you want a memento of your, your side in the, the playoff final? So just say that's that's the reason. I have no reason to disbelieve him. But just say, you know what? We've got this kit. We're bringing it out as a memento for the playoffs because we're proud to be there. Would you be proud to be there too? Buy the kit. Do something good for the club. I think the, the, the reasons that they've given are entirely plausible because obviously the EFL have back this move and absolutely you you wonder whether the EFL would approve a, a one-off kit were it not for the fact that they exhausted their supply this season um it does seem strange because obviously it's just a plain blue shirt and you'd think they'd be able to find uh, additional supply but at the same time I, I, I kind of understand it it just makes me think though that Coventry didn't expect to get to the playoff final if that's <laughs> they only had enough kit to get them through to the semis so. just makes me worry about the kit man I mean like, has he got bad moths or <laughs> Maybe they threw them in the crowd at Meadow Lane. I, I didn't see it at the end of the game, but perhaps the, that's what happened. The players always used to love me doing the kit because the regular kit man smote like a trooper. So they'd put them on on a Saturday and, you know, they'd be stinking of fags. And then I'd do them and I'd Lenore them and Aww. they'd put them over their head. And they'd be, that's probably why we didn't win when I washed the kicks. They'd be forever <laughs> sniffing each other. I'm just fairly sure. <laughs> Well, that's a good place to uh, uh, end our look at Coventry and uh, turn our attention to the fragrant-smelling Exeter team. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Matt, whatever happens on Monday, it's a changing of the guard at Exeter. Um, not for the reasons you think either, but because Steve Perryman is retiring. Former Tottenham legend has been at the club as director of football um, for well, absolutely ages, longer even than uh, Paul Tisdale. I think 17 years in total. It may be broken service at the beginning. Um, Paul Tisdale said... His input and contribution to Exeter City has been enormous, from a very vulnerable and weak moment in the club's history right through to now, which is arguably the healthiest. It's very hard to quantify that level of contribution, uh, but Steve arrived when credibility was probably at its lowest, and he's personally taken it upon himself to influence disciplines at the club, the themes by which we work, the way we treat each other, and creating an environment that gives young players and senior players an opportunity. And there's a fantastic piece on Steve on the Exeter City website, which I think we're all surprised by because a lot of websites generally, you know, you, you wouldn't go there for quality reading material perhaps, but this is a really good piece, loads of quotes from old players. And I just, as someone who takes his tea very, very seriously and demands it's made in a pot, um, I, I love this from Steve Perryman. He said, um, talking about when he first arrived at the club, he said, I left my home in Gerrard's Cross at about 5.30am and I got to the gates at about 8.30am. Mike Radford, the youth coach, turned up and he offered me a cup of tea and then started making it with this white powder. 
I'd never seen tea made like that before, so I asked what it was, and he said, powdered milk. I said, Raddy, I am not driving three, three hours here for tea made with powdered milk. I wasn't giving it the big I am, and it was said more in jest than anything, but I'd just driven past all these fields with all these cows in to Devon, the county of cream teas, and I thought it was strange. If you're going to make a cup of tea in Devon, you make the best cup of tea you can, and that is certainly... Not a cup of tea with powdered milk. He's waited 17 years to show Matt Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> he finally got it in at the end. You, you can find out everything you need to know about a person by the way they make their tea, so I think they will miss Steve Perryman. However, will they also miss Paul Tisdale? Because there is rampant speculation that he'll be leaving Matt. There is. Uh, obviously, his contract's still rolling, and... Uh, a lot of speculation linking him with other jobs. I mean, I know he was in the running for the MK Don's position and uh, I think he was actually favourite in, in that list last week. So it's a bit of a bizarre situation because obviously Exeter have reached the playoff final for second season running and uh, there was that game against Stevenage, the game that confirmed that they were going to finish outside the automatic places again where some of the fans were calling for him, chanting time to go towards the end of the match. And uh, Take me back to the start because he's he's obviously been there a very long time. The club is fan-owned. Um, and something happened with his contract, didn't it? Yeah, it was agreed basically that he'd uh, go on a rolling contract uh, with the trust board and basically uh, there was a petition a few years ago as well where some fans were uh, su- suggesting that it was time for him to leave then and uh, obviously he's had he's the longest serving manager in, in the game uh, now Arsene Wenger's departed and uh, there have been ups and downs, been promotions, relegations and he's he stuck with them throughout and I think the way he's looking at it now with what he's saying about he's given everything to this club uh, there's the one quote that really stood out actually where he said uh, let's be honest I put my career on hold for five or six years because he's been linked with the Swansea job in the past the Southampton job and it almost sounds a bit like he's talking as, as though he owes it to himself now to see what else is out there especially whenever he's not necessarily feeling the love from, from all the Exeter fans but it also has to be said that uh, similar to that petition a few years ago uh, he uh, it, it, it is a vocal minority because there's this big Greshens as one campaign uh, just before the playoffs where it was uniting the fan base and saying let's let's get together and give it a big push to get up into to League One and hopefully if they do then that might mean that Tisdale stays. Um Tisdale has, uh, yeah, understandably uh, been a bit upset by the whole thing. Uh, he said, you understand supporters, you understand that's how it is, but it wasn't nice. It's been difficult. The whole thing has been hurtful and unsettling, but you learn to live with that in professional sport. I don't regret being here. I love it at Exeter. I love the players and the coaches I work with, and we're very close, but it's unfair on them. Uh, Caroline, is it unfair? I am the biggest advocate for the supporters' trust movement and supporter involvement at football clubs. I think every club, every club should have a supporter on the board. But you would hope the minute that Tisdale leaves that club, that Paul Tisdale leaves that club, that there is an article in a similar vein to the one that they've done for Steve Perriman because I think it has suited him. It's suited both parties, the, the relationship at that club. But particularly if he gets them up, regardless of whether he gets them up, being in the playoff final again and what he has achieved at Exeter, then he should rightly get those plaudits. And it's the combination between him and, and Steve Perryman. And I wonder if with Perryman going after, as you say, like some 17 seasons, whether that is the marker, really, for Paul Tisdale to say, OK, Steve's off, I'm off too. And he will leave a legacy at that club in the same way that, that Steve Perryman has done. Not maybe to the same extent in taking them from bankruptcy to to non-league, to Wembley, to Anfield, to Old Trafford and everywhere in between. But he's been very much a part of that. 
Um, the, the fans, of course, are not one homogenous mass of uh, the, the same opinion. Uh, scouring around on X-Web this morning, a uh, few quotes. Grecian Max says, I used to love the guy, but he went stale five years ago. Red Bill says he isn't universally popular because football's an entertainment business and Tisdale's approach quite often fails to deliver. Also, when fans have watched a game where the team has played terribly, they get a little insulted when he comes along afterwards and says how well we've played. Mm. However, Red Monster says Tisdale, the magic man, has got us through the semi-final playoffs four times now. That takes some doing. And Ashford Grecian says that the result over Lincoln was two fingers to all the complete and utter tossers that have been on his case for such a long time. Absolute clueless idiots. So there's no great consensus there. Matt, how do you see it playing out? Do you think he'll stay or go? Well, like we're saying, I think it's the same as that petition situation. I think there were only 441 signatures on that petition, and so clearly uh, not a unanimous verdict on Tisdale a few years ago, and it, and it still isn't now. Uh, I think he's going to leave. I think either way, if they go up uh, or, or, if, or if they obviously miss out, then it's more likely that he'll leave. But but I think he probably will, just from the, the sound of things and uh, the interviews that he's given recently. Uh, and I think Exeter could live to regret that, because like you're saying, the, the players that he's helped bring through to the first team with Perryman and uh, some of the money that which Tisdale has pointed to as well that they've raised from player sales the likes of Dade Wheeler Ollie Watkins Ethan Ampard who's, who's now at Chelsea uh, whoever comes in they're really going to struggle to replace the, the job that he's done throughout the whole club Hi I'm Matt I'm a trustee at Exeter City Football Club I'm here to just give a bit of a backdrop to Paul Tisdale situation I think it's important to bear in mind the context of this in the, the 2014 season, uh, X had to take a loan from the PFA uh, because we were running out of cash. And that led to a transfer embargo that then sort of dictated what was quite a difficult season for us. Mid-season, we sold Matt Grimes and that put us into quite a good financial position. But that sort of backdrop has always hung over uh, Paul Tisdale. And I think when you look at the two seasons after that we went something like 12 months without a win at home and this all culminated in October 2016 when the trust held an AGM and one of the motions put forward was to look at renegotiating Portisdale's contract and what's important to bear in mind is that this was never a case of we want to sack Portisdale the, the motion was very specific about trying to secure an alternative contract that would best protect the financial interests and security of the football club. And the view at the time was that a two-year rolling contract, given the cash flow issues that the club had had historically, was too much of a risk with the club languishing at the time at the bottom of the league. And if we had have been relegated that season, the two-year contract would have been a real issue for the club. Now, since that motion got put through, obviously the club has done fantastically well. And certainly from my perspective, and I know from a number of fans' perspectives, we want Paul to stay. We would love him to sign the new contract, which is a fixed contract, not a two-year rolling deal. Um, but I think the uncertainty of the situation has really led to, to issues from Paul's side. He's done a couple of interviews, one notably with The Times, and that's led to some anger from both sides of the fan base. It's quite interesting in the Totally Football Show podcast yesterday, Daniel Story said that Mourinho has two extremes, a, a real support that backs him and a real support that goes against him. And I think that's quite similar at Exeter with Paul Tisdale. 
OK, let's talk about the way Exeter got to the final. Matt, the first leg, um, the nil-nil against Lincoln. Why? <laughs> We watched it together. It was not pretty. Second second leg was much better game, wasn't it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where was my invite? Oh, God, I knew this was going to happen. This is awkward. Oh, you were in Australia or something. Mm. <laughs> you never mentioned that. <laughs> second leg, Matt. It was a good game. It was a great game, yeah. And uh, Exeter fully deserved the victory. Danny Cowley, very magnanimous, uh, as he usually is in defeat, considering that the best team won. Uh, typical strikers goal from Stockley to, uh, to set the ball rolling and... Um, he obviously missed that chance in the first leg, one of the few chances really in that game. Uh, and then two brilliant strikes by Boateng and Harley. And I saw someone on Twitter compare Boateng's goal to a, to a Yaya Torre striker. I thought that was quite a right. fitting comparison because the way he picks up the ball midfield, that driving run forward, and then just a superb technique to, to fire it into the corner. Reminded me a little bit of Daly and Atkinson, but without the lob at the end. But again, the same drive the, from the his Wimbledon own goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very old. Um, a lot of players caught the eye, Jaden Stockley, obviously, Boateng. Uh, but Jordan Moore-Taylor, we mentioned him briefly before, he's only just back from a knee injury. He was supposed to miss the playoffs. He comes up against Matt Reed, which is about, you know, the man's a dreadnought. Um, and, he, and he coped really well, didn't he? He did, yeah. Uh, Moore-Taylor's struggled with injuries last couple of seasons, really. He's missed a few spells, and uh, but he, he did deal brilliantly with Reed and... There was obviously that one incident where Reed uh, sort of tumbled in the box. I mean, for a big man, he does seem to have quite unstable stance, doesn't he? At times, <laughs> but uh, I think that will, I think Moore Taylor will really relish that battle against McNulty, and I think that the whole final could hinge on that. He's another graduate of their academy and shows just how well Exeter have done in bringing young talent through. But have we ever mentioned the fact that he's got a biodegradable plastics business as well, <laughs> which in my eyes makes him a hero? OK, no, we have not. Uh. But now we have. Um, who else are we looking out for on the Exeter team? Who's impressed you guys over the over the season? I think uh, as well as Stockley, Moore Taylor, Boateng Harley, who scored the winner against uh, Coventry early in the season. He scored a great strike in that second leg the other night. Christy Pym uh, should get a mention as well, goalkeeper. He's only 23, which is young age to uh, to trust a guy with the the number one shirt uh, in League Two, and uh, but obviously played an important part in him reaching a final last year, and he's been uh, solid again this season. Um, We've all done press conferences, and we all know that you know, the, the first question is usually like the, the soft one you t- toss up for them to hit away and get them talking. Uh, one reporter said to Paul Tisdale, are you looking forward to Wembley, Paul? I mean, surely that, like, that's going to garnish... Uh, he garner said no, a- didn't he? <laughs> he said, no, I'm not. I'm actually not. I've got business to do. I'm already focused now on the next 10 days. I don't know how I feel. This feels very different to this time last year. OK, we have to enjoy the moment. And you don't get days like this every year. Well, OK, we did last year. But it's not a given. You've got to earn these moments. All I can say is last year we celebrated, and quite rightly, it was an amazing, amazing day against Carlisle. But once you lose at Wembley, it doesn't have to take the shine off it. I mean, it doesn't sound like a man who's happy in his job, Caroline. No, but there's another marker, isn't it? Coming back from the disappointment of last season and how well they've done this season again shows the measure of getting into the team and turning that around and, and bringing those confidence levels up. Yeah, if you are sat there with maybe this, with a rolling contract, with some talk, negative talk, which is clearly going to get to you at, at some point, and you're you're sat there, we've all sat there in, in moments and thought, actually, I'm quite good at this, and someone said, nah, you're not. It will undermine what you're doing. So as much as he wants to enjoy that, what does it mean ultimately for him? Does it, he does he know that winning at Wembley would mean that he gets maybe a better shot at somewhere else 
next season? Does it mean he stays at, at the club? And if you've got all that going around it and trying to shut that out, it must be incredibly difficult. If you've not been able to silence the doubters after 17 years, then <laughs> it's ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, you should take that approach then, shouldn't you? You should take that approach and just say, well, pff, sod you. A uh, quick word on Lincoln before we go. Uh, Lincolnshire Live made the very astute point that uh, the Imps should be very proud of themselves. They said, just look at the way recently promoted sides Grimsby, Cheltenham and Forest Green have struggled, but the Imps have bucked that trend with a fabulous first season back in the league. Um, it's absolutely right, isn't it? Big crowd, young managerial team, they seem to be sticking around. It's been a good year, hasn't it? It's just what we were saying about Notts County as well, with that attendance, that atmosphere the other night, uh, a young manager doing brilliant things at that club and... Lincoln's trajectory over the last couple of years has just been amazing and I think they'll be up there again next season definitely Okay, that's what the experts say what does the bookmaker say let's talk to Joe Crilly at William Hill who's on the line right now hello Joe hello it's the League 2 preview Um, it is of course Exeter against Coventry now what do the numbers say Okay, so uh, Cov are slight favourites to win this uh, if you're looking at the 90 minutes, they are 6-4 to four, uh, with Exeter 19-10 to 10 in the draw, 11-5. to five. Uh, But in the uh, lift the trophy, this will show you just how close, uh, as all of the, the playoff finals are, actually. Uh, this will show you just how close it is. Coventry 4-6, to six, so just a shade of odds on. And Exeter just a shade of odds against at 6-5. to five. Ooh, So what does this mean for a bookie? Are you kind of... Yeah, is there a good result for the bookie here, or are you just, you know, in a lot of trouble? Whatever happens, um, it, it's difficult. If you have a, a, a final like, like the FA Cup final last uh, last weekend. Oh God, let's um, not have another one of those. <laughs> well, hope, fingers crossed. Yeah, that was terrible. Um, probably the worst FA Cup final since the last Chelsea United FA Cup final. But um, uh, what you tend to get when the prices are so close. Um, just as we can barely make our minds up, the same thing happens with punters. So you, you actually tend to see a hell of a lot more money on, on a match where a team is 1-3, to 1-4 to four to win uh, than you do when these prices are so close. But uh, Coventry is slight favourites, and I expect that we'll probably see most of the money to them. All right, what about the battle of the strikers? Because you've got Mark McNulty and Jaden Stockley leading the way for their respective teams. Who's edging it for um, first goal scorer? Uh, well, it, it, it will come as no surprise, uh, given that his team are favourites to, to win the, the playoff final, that McNulty at 7-2 is the favourite to bat the first goal, uh, and Stockley is 4-1, to one, so just at that half a point behind. Um, and if you're backing him to score any time, McNulty 6-5, to five, Stockley 7-5. to five. All right, that's Joe Crilly at William Hill. Thanks so much for that, Joe. We'll be in touch very soon. Look forward to it. So, before we go, prediction time. Matt, let's go to you first. Who's going up to League One? I'm going to go for Exeter. Ooh. I know I back Lincoln in the semi, and I know I back Coventry to go through against Notts County, but I think Exeter played really well in that second leg, and I'm going to go for them. Caroline? I think the only way I can recover is to back Coventry, isn't it? To draw level, so I'm going to go with Exeter. Well, there it is. That's the League Two playoff final, 3pm, Bank Holiday Monday, Coventry versus Exeter. If you're going to Wembley, we're not taking sides here. All the very best from all of us. Have a great day, and for whoever goes home unsuccessful, get your chins up. You've had a great season, and you'll be back. And so will we. It's our last show of the season next week. Join me and Matt and Sam Parkin for the big post-mortem. There are two more playoff previews out there, so check them out if you get the chance. Until then, thank you for listening. See you next Tuesday.
The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.